Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. I need you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22 if you want to get those ready in just a few moments. We're going to be looking at that text this morning. As Emily said, we are continuing in our series through Micah 6 8. Uh, the Old Testament prophet Micah is one of the most unknown, I would assume, books in your Bible. There are three messages within Micah's prophecy. The first two chapters is one message, three through five is the second message, and we're focusing on the third message that Micah has to God's people. You see, there have been a group of them that have been taken captive into captivity because they had been unfaithful to their covenant promise to God, and God told them that I will bless your nation, I will give you this land, I will deliver you to it. If you follow my commands and do what I ask you to do, then you will keep the land. If not, I'll take the land from you. And this had already begun to happen. And Micah is coming back to them with a statement about God's faithfulness. How sometimes God's faithfulness is the worst thing we could ask for because God will always do the right thing, even if the right thing contradicts our right thing. And so in the midst of this, Micah is, has this famous verse that we've been talking about. We'll, we'll look at it as it was just signed for us. Let's look at it on the screen. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And we've been talking about this now for the second week. What I want you to remember from last week's message is that these are not three separate things we do. Actually, what we need to view them in, in the same way Jesus, when he was asked, what is God's requirement of us? He said, love the Lord your God with your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you look at what Micah's told us, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, you'll see that that actually plays out to be how do we love God and how do we love others. So last week we looked at what it means to do justly. And to summarize what we talked about last week very quickly, what we learned is that our sins must be atoned for. For justice to take place, God cannot act like we did not sin, and we cannot act like we did not sin. We must answer for our rebellion against God and the breaking of this world. And it is required in justice that that must be dealt with. So what we learned is that instead of God holding us to that and making us pay for it, which would be the end of us and our relationship with him, God took it upon himself. He sent Jesus down in the Trinitarian understanding of who Christ was. He came as God into this world. He died on the cross for our sins so that we might have our sins atoned for. And then, that's what the scripture says, and he has showed you, O mortal, what is good. How? How do we know what is good? How do we know what is right? How do we as broken people stand before a faithful God, never having a faithfulness of our own? How do we do that? We do it through Jesus. He has shown you, immortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. How did he do that? He did it through the life of Jesus. And we learned last week that to do justly is not to take care of our own sins. It's not to save ourselves. It's not to become better versions of ourselves. What we learn is to do justly is to do unto others what God has done for us. That's why the word justice in the Old Testament always deals with the way we, you and I, care for, protect and provide for widows, orphans, aliens, and the downcast. Each and every time the word justice is used in the Old Testament, it's how do you care for those who cannot care for themselves? And why would we do such a thing? Why would we do justly? Because he has showed us what is good. Through Jesus, he cared for us when we could not care for ourselves. 
So when others are made in the image of God, it does not matter the color of their skin and their religious background, their ethnicity. It doesn't matter what their political stance are. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor, if they're good or bad. We can care for them because we were cared for. So today we move on to loving mercy. And it's very important to understand that if there is not the presence of justice, there is no mercy. Mercy can only be found where justice is present. And so because of that, to love mercy is not just to live in mercy, but it's actually to learn to love it, to cherish it, to uphold it. See, God does not love you and I. We learned this last week. God does not love you and I because of what we are or who we are or what he gets out of our relationship. God simply loves us by the character of his will, because of who he is. He's not naive. He's not romanticized. His love compels him to care for each and every one of us, even in the moments we did not care for him. While we were the enemy, Christ died for us. So we learn that his love comes from his character. So what I want to show you today through the teachings of Jesus is what it means to love mercy. To do justice and to love mercy are interlinked. You can't have one without the other. And so we begin. I want you to, I know I have you in Matthew 22, but just look back to chapter 21, verse 23, while you have it open there. I'll give you the setup for the teaching and one of the strangest parables that Jesus will tell. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? It's quite an interesting thing. It says that Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders of his day, and they were coming to him, and they're asking him this question, who do you think you are? You come in and you change what we teach. You correct us in front of people. What is your, what's your resume? What's your credentials? How dare you do this? Who do you think you are? And where do you think you get such authority? Because the leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were not unlike we are. They had this false conception that they had earned their place with God. They'd gone to the right school. They understood the right things. They'd, they'd taken the right tests. They'd passed the right exams. They had the right pedigree. And so because of that, God was somehow contractually obligated to save them, to care for them, to give them these positions. In other words, God had abdicated his role and handed it to the religious leaders, and they were then to perform. And they don't see Jesus honoring their teachings in the same way that they would have wanted and expected And so they ask him, who do you think you are? And Jesus tells three parables. And all three of these parables answer this core question. Do you think the kingdom of heaven is earned? Do you think you've earned it? Now, I know your first reaction is, no, no, I'm unworthy. But no, no, once he saved you, have you gone into the earning category? Now that I know my sins are covered, I am going to prove to the world that I'm as good a follower of Jesus as anybody. Earning it. Because when you learn to love mercy, you'll learn this. The kingdom of heaven is not earned. It is received. And those who feel they earn it no longer need mercy. And those who understand it's received need mercy every day like you need water and air. And so if you want to love mercy, there's a few things we need to understand. Let's read chapter 22, verses 1 through 7. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, third parable now saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. 
Then he sent some more servants and he said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. That's a happy story for a Sunday morning, isn't it? Jesus is in a mood, right? Third parable. Remember, he's teaching us that to love mercy is to understand that what we receive, we are not due. We have not earned it. God does not have to give it to us. And should he give it to us, it's only by his grace. See, I learned a long time ago, justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And grace is when you get what you don't deserve. I know that's somewhat confusing, but when you snap those three together, you'll understand why loving mercy is the actual sign of being saved by grace. Because you are not receiving what you have rightfully earned. So how do we love mercy? Let's begin with this. Mercy deserves respect. It deserves respect. That seems like a, a blanket statement everybody would understand and go, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, it deserves respect. Because we know when we love something, we respect it. We don't always agree with it. We don't always like it, but we respect it. We respect its value, we respect its input. If you're married, you know that you seldom agree on everything, even some core things you've learned to disagree about and live together kindly, but in the midst of it, you don't disrespect one another. You care, you, you listen, you honor. And mercy deserves our respect, should we love it. Because mercy can only be received in the shadows of justice. Mercy is the alternative to our justice. As we learned last week, God does not turn a blind eye to our sin. He handled our sin when we could not so that we could live in the mercy we did not deserve. So Jesus tells a story about a king who invites people into a banquet that celebrates his goodness. They did not deserve to be there. They had not earned their way in. He decided to invite whoever he chose to invite. And I know we can dissect parables at times, preachers like me, when I say we, we can, we can take parables and we can make every word and every comma and every nuance some big theological truth. We have to be careful. Parables aren't always as nuanced as we want to make them. And I hope not to do that this morning, but I want you to understand the overarching point of this parable. To have been invited to this banquet was not because they were good, it was because God is good. And that is the overarching theme of the mercy of God is that his faithfulness, his loving faithfulness in the Old Testament is given to those who have not earned it but are willing to receive it. So he holds a banquet and, and banquets were different than in our day. You have to remember this. They didn't have freezers and they couldn't go down to the Jerusalem Walmart and buy all the meat and vegetables and everything they wanted on the day of the banquet. To, to have slaughtered enough animals to feed the hundreds of people that would have come to the banquet, it would have taken time and preparation. And so you would have been given an invitation to come to this banquet and you might have received it three weeks or three days or some period of time before the banquet and then they would come back later and say it is ready so when the original invitation went out think about this the king has invited you to come eat at the banquet of his son on his wedding day would you like to come yes what an honor what a tribute how do I turn down the king in his goodness and so they say yes and then a few days later or a few weeks later, the servants go out again and say, the meal is tonight at six o'clock, please come. And the people said back to the king, yeah, uh, I can't. But you said you would. Yeah, but I can't. One guy says, I gotta go take care of business. Another guy says, I need to go inspect my fields. And then the rest 
who didn't have like anything to hide behind. And when they were reminded that you received the invitation and you said you would come, they took those servants who had invited them the second time and they beat them and they tortured them and some they even killed. And everybody hearing the parable would have understood Jesus was referencing the Old Testament prophets who preached about God's faithfulness and the unfaithfulness of Israel and they were killed for doing so. Because we don't deny it's true, we just don't want to hear it. And so in this moment, when the invitation goes out the second time to come to the banquet, they had become indifferent. They had become what we Americans say, busy, preoccupied. The banquet was awesome when it was offered. The idea of being in the the goodness of the king and receiving the benefits of the king, who wouldn't want that? But when it conflicts with my life and my schedule and my dreams and my plans, then all of a sudden it's an option for my life. I know this has nothing to do with scripture, but have you noticed in our culture nobody RSVPs anymore? Can I rant about this for 10 seconds? Have you thrown a party recently where you ask people to tell you if they're coming so you can buy enough food and they just decide to come because they're what? Busy. And when you asked me, I wasn't sure I could commit, but now that I want to, I want to, this parable's playing out in our day today. We become indifferent because we become distracted. Jesus would say, when you discover the power of the gospel, it's like a treasure buried in a field. And by accident, you kick open and see that there's a treasure there. So you rebury the treasure. You go back to your lives. You sell every possession you have to obtain that one treasure that's more valuable than anything you have in life. And everybody goes, of course you do. Or it's like a person looking for a great possession and they find this great possession that they've sought their entire life and they go back and they sell everything they have so that they can get rid of any distractions and possess that one possession that matters the world to them. It's like the prophet Elisha, who when he's called by Elijah to follow him, he takes the plow that he's plowing, he breaks it into pieces, he sets it on fire, he takes the bulls that are pulling his plow and he slaughters them and he sacrifices them in a great banquet. He burns every bridge behind him so he can pursue God with everything he is. And Jesus' parable is answering the question, by what authority are you doing this? And he's answering, I am the one inviting you to the king's house. Don't become distracted. Don't let your hobbies and your businesses, and your desires, don't let them distract you from giving up a greater treasure to hold on to something that's no treasure at all. The kingdom, to love mercy, is to love the kingdom. No, it's to love the king and what he's offering each and every one of us. You see, we said at one point, I want this because we love the idea of mercy, but there's more than loving the idea of mercy. There's actually immersing yourself into the mercy of the king each and every day. Is the value of Christ's invitation to you worth your everything? Is it more important than your dreams and your businesses and your sports teams and your vacations and your so on and so forth? I know I'm starting to meddle in your personal life, but understand this parable is not some esoteric idea about, yeah, we ought to love God more. It's actually saying that if we don't love the mercy of God, we don't love God. Because it's through the mercy of God that we actually understand his character. We actually value him above everything else. Because if we forget the mercy of Jesus shown on the cross, that he provided us the invitation to the kingdom, then we will become distracted, indifferent, and disinterested. But I need to say it one more time. You and I are not invited to the banquet because we've been good. We've been invited to the banquet because we've been loved. 
And that is what it means to love mercy, is to love the love God has shown us and to cherish it and prize it and protect it more than anything else in the world. We continue in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. <laughs> There's another happy ending, huh? So what is that all about? I thought that we were accepted as we were, not because we're good, but because we're loved. Mark, he just said this, and now this dude shows up, and he, the king says, hey, go invite anyone in the intersections. That's what the word means. When it says go out into the streets, or some of the older translations say go out into the way. What he's telling us is the intersections. Go out into the places where people are at and invite them into my banquet. And we're going to invite everybody. When he says that the first that were invited were not worthy, they, it's not that they were unworthy because they rejected the invitation. They were never worthy to start with. So he says, go find others who might receive this gift and invite them to come. And so they go out and they invite them and a bunch of people immediately come because the banquet is ready now. And they enter into the banquet and they get there and then the parable goes off the rails and Jesus said, and they look out at this one dude and he's not dressed right. Now, pause. In the American church, it's easy to look around and go, he's got a ball cap on, I told you. That's not what this is about. It's not about you bringing your big gulp into worship. It's not about shorts or t-shirts or back in my day we wore a tie. Well, good for you. That has nothing to do with holiness. It may have something to do with you for respect. But we're not talking about formalism here. We're not talking about proper social etiquette so everybody can relax. And if you have a ball cap in here, forgive me right now. You're okay. You see, I hear all the time that what Jesus is saying is you have to present yourself well. That is contradictory to everything Jesus ever taught. So what in the world is this parable speaking about? Well, if the rest of them, let me just put it this way, mercy provides what you need. So they all show up to the banquet. They went out to the streets and they invited them. They brought them in. And the king looks at one person and he says, you don't have a wedding garment on, why? And it says that he was speechless. The scholars have taught me, and I, I really appreciate it because it helps me understand this parable. The scholars were teaching that in this moment, here's what they were addressing. When they immediately came in from the intersections of life, they didn't have wedding garments on. And if the king said, why don't you have a wedding garment on? He could have said, I didn't have time to go home or I don't own one. But he says nothing. And they believe that what would have happened in that banquet was when you appeared before the king, he would give you a garment to wear. It makes me go all the way into the book of Revelation where it says that I will be given a white garment, not because I'm worthy of one, but because Jesus gave me one. And I will be covered in his righteousness. And he will have a garment that's blood-stained for the sacrifice that he gave to give me a white, clean one, just like you'll wear. And when we stand before Jesus, we don't dare stand before Jesus and go, I think I'm good enough. No, we put on the garment, don't we? And this man wouldn't put the garment on. And the king said, no, you misunderstand. My invitation to you is to allow me to show you my mercy, and you won't. You stand by your own. And so he was thrown out with the others. 
who would not receive. You see, the world says that no matter what you believe, just believe in something. It doesn't matter what kind of religion you're in as long as you pursue God and you don't have to be a part of a church, just worship God in your own way. And I'm here to tell you, those are lies of the world and Jesus has contradicted those. Without the justice of Jesus through his blood on the cross, you and I cannot stand in the presence of the king. We will be invited, but we will be found unworthy because we are not covered in the thing that brings us into his presence, into his holiness, into his perfection. It's the righteousness of Jesus. So this man refused to put on what was provided. See, mercy gives us what we need. Charles Spurgeon in the 1860s has a great line. He says, a beggar will cheer for any dish offered to him. Think about that with me. You want to love mercy? You need to begin to celebrate his mercy. You need to begin to proclaim his mercy. You need to hold on as the treasure of a lifetime, his mercy. His mercy is not one moment in time. I love Emily's thoughts as we gather around the table this morning. She remembered back to that day when she gave her life to Jesus Christ and publicly said, I want to make this choice for myself. And she did that. And she said she's been reminded each and every week when she gathers around the table of his mercy for us. That's why we do these things. That's why we gather to worship. Is not so you can check a box, so our hearts can be reminded and we can be inspired to walk by faith together because the mercy of God is worth more than anything else in the world. So I remember my entire life thinking that once Jesus gave me a restart, I was really responsible to make sure I did it better. And now I just have to learn to thank God that as a beggar, any taste of mercy is something I'll celebrate. Mercy deserves respect. Mercy provides what we need, and to love mercy is to love Jesus by inviting others into the kingdom of grace. This is not an evangelistic flip here. I'm not going to put a bunch of pressure on you to go out, but I'm going to tell you this. When the mercy of Jesus has your heart, you will sing and you will speak and you will talk about the mercy of Jesus the rest of your life. You'll not be distracted by the things of the world that become more important. That, that the, the work of the kingdom won't become something you'll get to one day. It actually becomes your opportunity to go into the intersections of your everyday life and proclaim the fact that you were invited to the great banquet and every person you know is invited to the great banquet. Now, we understand not everyone will accept that invitation. But to those who do, you change their lives. And what do you share with them? Isaiah chapter 61, the Old Testament prophet puts it so simply. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. The story is if God can bring me into his kingdom, he can bring you. It's not about our goodness. It's about his love. It's about his faithfulness. It's about his promise. It's about us loving mercy, because when we love mercy, we love God. It changes our choices, reminds us of those things that have distracted us, that are temporary at best and insignificant most of the time. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul makes it so crystal clear for me. Jesus Christ was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. I love that. The righteousness of God, not the righteousness of Mark or the righteousness of Bill or the righteousness of Susan, but the righteousness of God. Paul would also say to the Corinthians that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that we would go into the streets, into the intersections of life, and we would offer the same invitation offered to us, that by the mercy of God, you can have a relationship with him and your unfaithfulness will be replaced with the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and you will have an eternal relationship with your father. 
But not only do we get the ministry of reconciliation, Paul says we get the message of reconciliation. We get to tell of the mercy of God through the justice of Jesus Christ. And then that takes us into next week when it teaches us how to walk humbly because of the amazing work. Remember the question of Micah is, how do unfaithful people ever get to stand before a faithful God because of the work of Jesus Christ and the love of our Father? So as we're apt to do here, if you're new here, let me tell you, every now and then it's easier for me to kind of send us out by asking you to engage your head, your heart, and your hands. To, be, to think something, to become something, and then to go do something. So let me walk you through some options this morning for your head. Really simple. You cannot remember enough the love that God showed you through Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him received eternal life. You can't think about that too much. For some, you say, yeah, yeah, I know, Mark, he died on the cross. No, no, it's not just that he died on the cross for you. Remember the price he paid. Remember the reason he did it. Remember the the reason for which he gave up the best parts of heaven to come to the worst parts of earth so that you and I would understand you were loved and you were valued and you were cared for. Rejoice in the mercy of the invitation. Celebrate each and every day in whatever way you need to. A reminder that we are unworthy and yet we are found worthy only by Jesus. Focus your mind. As Rebecca said this morning, put away the thoughts of the world and take everything captive to Christ. So for our hearts, what we become, celebrate the promises that are true. Worship him. I know this is a convenience, but it, it has changed the last three months for me. You have these computers in your hands, these phones we never put down. Set your alarm randomly for some stupid time, 3.17 in the afternoon and, and 9.21 in the morning. Set an alarm that when you look at your phone, it goes off and you're like, what in the world? And you look down and it says pray or worship or appreciate or express your gratitude. Begin to develop the habits of walking the pathway with Jesus instead of trying to remember where you last left him. Begin to worship the mercy of Christ each and every day. Spend a moment or what some of our brothers in Christ might call the daily offices, where you just set this random time during the day to say, I'm going to set, my phone goes off because of Psalm 55, 17. My phone goes off at 8, 17, 9, 17, 10, 17, 11, 17. I don't do it at lunch. 1, 17, 2, 17, 3, 17. And my phone goes off and I'll look down and it will say pray. And each one of those hours reminds me to be grateful for another component of who God is. I don't ask for a thing. I just reset my heart to remember my God cares about my day and he cares about me and I love him. Set your heart toward him. Daily bow to the presence of your king. Daily bow to the merciful God who has been faithful to you from day one. So our head and our heart, now our hands. For some of you, for the longest time, you've been trying to figure this Jesus thing out. But your mistake is, that you're trying to figure this Jesus thing out by trying to figure us out. Don't. We don't know what we're doing. We're encouraging you that spend your time focused on the character of God and the church becomes an incredibly healthy, encouraging place. But give your mind to him. 
Some of you have never taken Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never professed him to be your king, your ruler, and the savior of your soul. He is the answer to your justice issue. He is the answer to your mercy issue. He's the answer to your future issue. And you begin to wonder, I don't know if I can do this. You can't. But together by the mercy of God, he will reshape you and regenerate you through the Holy Spirit that you might become a follower of Christ in a way you never could do on your own. But you're going to have to surrender to understand him. You're going to have to seek him through surrender, not just thoughts and arguments and so forth. So today may be the day that you decide, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I'm going to place myself and bow before him and receive his mercy and the justice of the cross so that I can walk in newness of life. And if you want to have that conversation, there are so many of us that would meet you out in the foyer by the prayer center that would love to begin a journey with you. We're not going to twist your arm behind your back, but we want to answer your questions because there are so many of us in this room who will testify that without Jesus Christ, we were lost and remain lost. But with Jesus, he has given us purpose and his mercy is overwhelming each day. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Or maybe you're a believer who just needs to begin to pray every morning that God would clear up your heart from those things that distract you. One preacher said it this way, and I kind of liked his question. He said, you know you love mercy. If today should be the day Jesus returns, and the skies unroll and Jesus comes through the clouds with great pageantry and our eyes look to the heavens. You'll know you love mercy when your response is finally instead of, oh no, I'm not ready. See, I'm not trying to cause shame. I'm simply saying, you know you love mercy when mercy is what you live for. Mercy is what you celebrate. And there's no greater treasure in life than mercy. You want to be prayed with this morning? You want someone to walk with you and what it means to be a disciple? If you want a community of relationships that will help you grow, don't wait another day. Come have a conversation with us after the service. Don't rush out. Plenty of places you can go, but no more important places you can be than at the foot of the cross. And for those of us that are followers, let's renew our hearts to love mercy because of the justice of Jesus on the cross. We have a new reason to live today a new thing to celebrate, a new priority to hold on to at all costs. That's who we get to become. What a treasure. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.